This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Dorothy Purcell awoke to a pain shooting up her back. She shifted on her lumpy hotel mattress, but to no avail. A dull, tepid backache remained. She hoped not to wake Ben. He hated when she did that. He always said she'd understand when she was older. (laughs) Older my ass, Dorothy thought. I'm old enough to sleep in his bed. Another shot of pain, chased with nausea. She'd do better in the bathroom. The cool porcelain of a toilet bowl. That might help. At least put some distance between Dorothy and sweaty, hairy Ben. She liked him. Don't get it wrong. He was just better looking in a suit and paying for dinner than he was drooling naked under cheap wool blankets. Right now, his smell made her sick. The September chill had somehow permeated their tiny rented room. Dorothy sipped some water. That only made it worse. Something, something odd was happening to her body. She and Ben hadn't done anything unusual. Just that thing he likes, nothing to merit. What's wrong with her? Dorothy had to be getting sick. Perhaps it was dinner. Ben promised he'd take her somewhere nicer when he had another shoe commission, or a divorce. Neither was imminent. But Ben treated her well, and with all the men her own age at war, what more could a girl ask? Oh God, something was very, very wrong. The pain Dorothy felt in the bathroom of the Cecil Hotel was the worst she had ever felt. That was until she looked down at what she had given birth to. A tiny, slimy, purple, human baby. Male. Dark hair like Ben's. Where would she put it? Dorothy hadn't been pregnant. At least not that she'd known. She should have known. Ben would be very, very angry if a baby woke him. She should leave. Or maybe not. Ben would kill her if he found out. No one would believe she didn't know. A shamed, unwed mother. No way to make a living. Her life would be ruined. If only it would... Dorothy looked out the window. Such a long way down. Oh, she couldn't. Yet... Did she have any alternative? Truly, there was no other choice. Dorothy threw her baby out the window. The Cecil Hotel was the final stop on the travel itinerary for many. One such John Doe number 31, 
as Dorothy Purcell's baby was posthumously named after being dropped from a window in September of 1944. His mother, quote, thought he was dead when he was born. But he didn't die until the fall. Dorothy and her 38-year-old lover, Ben Levine, checked out as if their stay had been fine. All was well. Until the police traced the dropped child back to their room. Dorothy, well, she pled insanity and got away with murder. In the years that followed, a disturbing pattern emerged. This hotel kills women. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every episode, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, where even an infant isn't safe. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and on Twitter, at Parcast Network. The Cecil Hotel has played host to a bizarre number of tragedies. Ask a former guest, or an LA local, or an internet sleuth why, and you'll get an equally bizarre number of answers. The ghost of one of its earliest murder victims, a newborn baby, is out to get revenge on women who resemble his mother. The satanic spirit of Los Angeles serial killer, the Night Stalker, haunts the hallways in bloody clothes. One thing's for sure, this hotel is cursed. Walking into the Cecil Hotel doesn't seem so bad, you think? The looming 14 floors and its location 40 minutes from Disneyland have led people to call it the literal Tower of Terror. But they're just being theatrical. Disneyland is fun. Through the grand entrance, the lobby maintains its Art Deco style from the original 1924 designs. In fact, it seems almost ritzy, despite the fact that it's less than a quarter of the price of a room at the Ritz. Considering you're still feeling the pain of the recent economic crisis, a nearly 100-year-old hotel in the heart of downtown, uncomfortably close to Skid Row, will have to do. You check in at the desk, ignoring the fact that the clock is stuck at 527, and has been for who knows how long. You're given a rusty metal key, because even in 2013, the hotel has not upgraded to modern key cards. A cockroach skitters by. You ignore that too. You're good at ignoring things. You ignore the Yelp reviews that this hotel played home to multiple serial killers, something that becomes more concerning as you notice the dark stains on the hallway carpeting. It turns out the lobby was a lie. The rest of the hotel is much more Motel 6 than Ritz-Carlton. Your room is kitschy. It's tiny, barely fitting a bed. No shower. You'll have to go down the hall for that, college style. That is, if you can successfully rest open the four, yes, four different locks on the inside of your door. It's been a long day of traveling. So you turn on the sink to freshen up before bed. 
The water smells foul. It's dark colored, brownish yellow. Something's off. Thank God you have bottled water from a Hollywood Boulevard gift shop. You brush your teeth with that and you go to bed. You try not to think about the hookers and crackheads who slept on this bed before you and wonder if the sheets have been washed since the Clinton administration. The next day, you hear the news. Quote, breaking. Dead body found in Cecil Hotel water supply, rotting in cistern for at least 19 days. The young woman thought to be a suicide victim. Well, at least you didn't drink the water. Yes, in 2013, it came out that hotel residents had been showering in, drinking, and brushing their teeth in water contaminated by a corpse. That's what staying at the Cecil Hotel, AKA the suicide, is like. 16 unnatural deaths have been recorded at the Cecil Hotel. It's said that so many people jumped from the roof that the owners of the adjacent parking lot sued. The Cecil Hotel was built in the 1920s to be a go-to place for businessmen and luxury vacationers. At the time, 6th Street and Main Street was a booming business center and a very fashionable area. A December 1924 ad in the LA Times advertised the Cecil's bespoke lobby furniture, chairs made of walnut and Spanish red leather, hand-woven carpets, pillows filled with goose and duck feathers, Quote, completely up to date, completely comfortable. But the extravagance of the era was supplanted by the frugality of the Great Depression. The hotel quickly fell into the disrepair it's become known for. In 1935, barely 10 years after the hotel opened, Raymond Chandler described it as, quote, an old hotel that had once been exclusive. It had too much oily dark wood paneling too many chipped gilt mirrors, too much smoke hung below its low beam lobby ceiling, and too many grifters bummed around in its worn leather rockers. Crime hit the area. The neighborhood went downhill. The Cecil became a go-to for people with no faith in the future. Let's flip through the hotel's guest book. Hmm. March 1937, a pair of guests, sailor M.W. Madison and his girlfriend, Grace Magro. They seemed happy until Grace left the hotel through the window. She was caught in telephone wires and found tangled up in them, barely alive. She died in a hospital from the injuries. M.W. claimed he was sleeping at the time of the incident just as Dorothy Purcell's lover Ben was sleeping at the time of her incident. M.W. stated that Grace had, in his opinion, no reason to kill herself. So did Grace fall victim to the supernatural? Was she possessed or driven to kill herself by a demonic spirit? Or was her boyfriend just covering for a lover's quarrel gone wrong? Either way, a woman died at the Cecil. After Grace, many believe the next noteworthy name is Elizabeth Short. She's not in the guest book, but to be fair, she just stopped in for a drink in the Cecil Hotel's bar in early January, 1947. They say it was her last drink as Elizabeth Short because the next day, 
Elizabeth became known as the Black Dahlia. Hmm, flipping forward in the guest book, there's Margaret Brown of Denver. She checked in in 1954. On October 22nd, she jumped from the window in room 704 and landed on the hotel's marquee. Firefighters had to retrieve her body. And when they did, they discovered that the 55-year-old was not Margaret Brown, but Helen C. Gurney. Of course, there is a Margaret Brown of Denver, better known to history as the unsinkable Molly Brown. The obvious fake name makes you wonder, though. Who was Helen hiding from? February 11th, 1962, Julia Frances Moore. She stayed on the eighth floor. However, she was found on the second. Julia jumped and landed in a light well. She died from the fall. People blame financial problems for the hotel's suicides, but Julia had $1,800 in her bank account, a significant sum for a woman in 1962. Is it possible Julia was pushed by a supernatural force? Later that year in October, Pauline Auden and her estranged husband, Dewey, booked a room to sort out their marital problems. When the fight got brutal, Dewey left for dinner. Pauline jumped out the window. But Pauline wasn't the only death that day. Her nine-story fall was broken when she landed directly on a passerby an elderly man out for a walk. Both were victim to the Cecil Hotel. In the early 1960s, Goldie Osgood, better known as Pigeon Goldie, enjoyed her retirement. She lived in the Cecil Hotel and spent her days feeding pigeons in Pershing Square and rooting for the LA Dodgers. A bag of birdseed and her Dodgers cap distinguished her as a beloved local figure. But on June 4, 1964, a hotel employee came by Goldie's room to drop off the latest phone book. He found Goldie's room in disarray, her signature baseball cap and her bag of birdseed in her bed. Next to them, Goldie's corpse. She'd been raped, stabbed, strangled, and robbed. Her murder has never been solved. These are only a sampling of the hotel's mysterious deaths, and we've yet to account for the hotel's long-term residents, many of whom died mysteriously outside the hotel. But it seems as if a dark force is enacting its vengeance on hotel patrons. There's something inside the building, something sinister. Perhaps it goes something like this. A woman hears an infant crying. She ignores it, just someone in a neighboring room. But it gets louder. It seems to be near her window. She opens the window to look. A tiny forlorn baby in need of mothering. She could just hold him for a moment, calm him. She reaches for him, but can't quite grasp. She leans a little further and falls to her death. How else can we explain how all these women checked in, but never checked out? We'll return to our story in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to haunted places. While it's impossible to know which, if any, of the deaths at the hotel were caused by the paranormal, some visitors to the Cecil Hotel were lucky enough to see a ghost and live to tell the tale. Guests regularly report sightings of dark figures in their rooms or unexplained noises. Others have reported uncanny cold spots. Some even say a ghost tugged at their bedsheets. One man staying at the Cecil just wanted a good night's sleep, but that wasn't so easy. His bed was more like rubber than feathers. Loud arguing seeped in from the room next door. After an hour of discomfort, he finally began to drift off to sweet sleep and suddenly couldn't breathe. Invisible hands were choking him. He gasped for air. When he was finally able to breathe and move, he ran straight downstairs to the lobby. He demanded another room, any room. The man moved rooms and slept soundly. The next day, he learned his original room had been the site of a murder. Ghosts aren't the only scary entities at the Cecil. Some notable guests are serial killers. Despite its history, the Cecil Hotel has never been short on business. Their trick? Low rates. It's a cheap room for travelers, akin to a European hostel, with shared rooms and shared bathrooms down the hall, or private rooms and private bathrooms for extra fees. In its past and now, it provides long-term rentals to people who would otherwise be on the streets. Many people have used the hotel as long-term residents, spending months or years avoiding the ghosts in the dimly lit hallways. Most of these people, transients, criminals, the unfortunate mentally ill, would be homeless otherwise. One such transient was mentally ill criminal Richard Ramirez. In 1985, he lived on the top floor for about a month and a half, paying only $14 a night. Ramirez was a cocaine addict and a Satanist, using the room to binge undisturbed for days. This was smack in the middle of the reign of one of LA's most depraved serial killers, the Night Stalker. From June 1984 to August 1985, the Night Stalker killed at least 13 Angelinos and harmed many more. Most of his victims were women. The police were actively hunting down this killer and he was hiding in the Cecil Hotel, unnoticed. After mutilating and killing a victim, the Night Stalker, AKA Richard Ramirez, dripped with blood. He returned to the alley behind the hotel and stripped and left his bloody clothes in the dumpster. In only his underwear, Ramirez entered the hotel, walking through the back entrance and up to his room. Not an eyebrow was raised. A half-naked murderer walking around was hardly noteworthy to the transients, criminals, 
and others who were too down on their luck to be able to live anywhere else but the Cecil Hotel. Ramirez killed before and after his stay at the Cecil, but no doubt the hotel's dark energy attracted him. Though he didn't kill inside the hotel, Ramirez killed in the name of Satan. Evil spirits summoned by his murderous satanic offerings could have followed him into his hotel room if they weren't there already. The dark curse of the Cecil Hotel didn't protect Richard Ramirez forever. He was taken into custody later in 1985, but the hotel wouldn't be without a serial killer for long. By 1991, 7th Street in downtown Los Angeles had become a popular drag for sex workers. The Cecil Hotel is off Main and 7th. You can imagine what it was like in the 90s. Whatever you just imagined, it was worse. Because someone was murdering local sex workers. The crime in the area was so bad it made international news. Austrian celebrity journalist Jack Unterweger was sent to Los Angeles to do a series of crime stories. He checked into the hotel on June 11th. As a wealthy and well-groomed man, Unterweger didn't fit the bill for the Cecil's clientele. Unterweger assured the pretty receptionist that he was a writer there for research. Within days, a body was found off the side of the road in the nearby Boyle Heights neighborhood. Sex worker Shannon Exley had been beaten, assaulted, and strangled with her own bra. Just 10 days later, on June 30th, the body of Irene Rodriguez, another local sex worker, was found in Boyle Heights. She'd been killed the same way, strangled with her own bra. Satisfied with his research, Unterweger checked out of the hotel on July 2nd, planning to spend some time with friends on the west side before heading back to Austria. The killings continued. On July 10th, Peggy Jean Booth was found strangled with her own bra near Malibu. You might be wondering how Unterweger became a celebrity journalist. He'd written a smash autobiography while in prison for murder. He'd killed his victim by strangling her with her own bra. After serving 15 years, the Austrian authorities believed Unterweger had reformed. He was well-liked, trusted, a shining example of true criminal reform, until he stayed in the Cecil Hotel. Did the hotel's curse bring out the dormant lady killer inside Jack? Notably, Jack was convicted of six murders in Europe, some taking place before his stay at the Cecil. Maybe something else drove Jack to kill, and the hotel's curse merely lured him into staying there, where he was in good company. The same could be said for Richard Ramirez. Curse or coincidence, it's undeniably unsettling that the Cecil hosted two active serial killers. Nowadays, Angelinos have less to fear. Jack Unterweger committed suicide when he was found guilty in 1994, and Richard Ramirez passed away from cancer complications in 2013 while on death row. However, some say a bloody, half-dressed night stalker still walks the hotel hallways on cold nights. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. 
And now, back to the story. What follows is an account of surveillance footage taken of the Cecil Hotel's elevator on January 31st, 2013. A dark-haired woman enters the elevator. Methodically, she presses the center row of buttons, one at a time, top to bottom. She steps back, waiting for it to move. When it doesn't, she quickly peeks outside, as a person afraid of being seen might. The camera doesn't show what she sees, but she darts back inside. She hides in the corner of the elevator, out of sight of whatever may be lurking in the hotel hallway. She's frantic, scared. There's no audio, but her nervous, slouched posture as she peeks outside again indicates she's listening to something. As if following orders, she steps out of the elevator, back in, back out, to the left, to the right. Oh, she's being directed to move out of view of the camera. She's outside for a while, and the elevator door remains open. It's been over a minute. Someone must be holding the door. Gesturing in frustration, the woman re-enters the elevator, then methodically presses the center line of buttons again. She exits, presumably to get out of view of the camera, but her wild hand gestures are visible as she argues with an invisible presence. Wrists and fingers contorting, squatting, standing. Her movement is unnatural, reminiscent of the possessed little girl in The Exorcist. She walks away, and after some time, the door finally closes. The LAPD made this tape available to the public in hopes that someone would recognize her. It should be noted that a few sections, less than 10 seconds each, are missing. The tape is the last known sighting of Elisa Lamb, a 21-year-old Canadian tourist who went missing for 19 days after this footage was recorded. Was Elisa running from a ghost? Her murderer? Or nothing at all? We'll never know. What we do know is that her corpse was found floating in the hotel's rooftop water cistern after guests complained of low water pressure in the showers and tap water with a weird smell, taste, and color. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, the body had been rotting in the cistern for 19 days. Was the woman's body dumped in the cistern after her murder, or was it just an accident? Who or what was she hiding from? Where did she die? How did she get on the locked roof? And how did she get into the 10-foot-tall tank? Though her death was ruled as an accidental drowning, the internet is flooded with conspiracy theories on how this woman died. Most of the theories boil down to, one, she was murdered, two, she committed suicide, or three, a dark paranormal force killed her, or forced her to kill herself. Some say it's all a PR ploy done by people who wanted to scare out the low-income residents and buy the property. Others say it's a government conspiracy, that Elisa was involved with the development of the invisibility cloak technology. Supposedly, she shared too much about the proprietary developments online, 
posing a security risk. She was assassinated by the person she spoke to in the video, who was wearing the invisibility technology, which is why they can't be seen in the footage. Some people think she was playing a Korean elevator game, where one tries to enter another dimension by pushing multiple elevator buttons in a building taller than 10 stories. And some say she was on hallucinogenic drugs, based on the erratic elevator activity. Now, for some more believable theories. Elisa's struggle with bipolar disorder and her odd behavior in the elevator, followed by sneaking up to the roof via the fire escape, could have been due to a manic episode. She was on vacation, and the rooftop view would have made a stellar photo. Perhaps, bursting with energy, she climbed onto the cistern for a better view and fell in. Or maybe the mania switched to a depressive episode, the other side of the bipolar coin. Being alone in a strange city can lead to adventure, but also unbearable hopelessness. Due to her mental health problem, she may have seen no other way out. Elisa maintained a tumbler, headed with the eerily prescient quote, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. On her Tumblr, she posted about art and architecture, feminism and fashion. Her posts show a bright, caring, creative young woman. These posts continued after her death. Not that it made seeing these posts after the news of her death any less unsettling. However, on Tumblr, Elisa also posted about depression and suicidal thoughts. Like so many other guests at the Cecil, she may have killed herself. Except, the coroner found Elisa's bipolar medications in her system, so it's unlikely her death was the result of a manic or depressive bipolar episode. And here's why I think her death was the result of foul play. Her body was found naked. Days before, on her Tumblr, Elisa posted about a creeper in the hotel. It's possible she was murdered by another guest, or more likely, an employee. After all, an employee with malicious intent would know where the security camera was, stay out of its view, and direct Elisa to do the same. And pressing the buttons for multiple floors on the elevator is a smart way to keep a stalker or attacker from learning what floor she was staying on. Perhaps her killer was paying homage to the 2005 film Dark Water, which oddly parallels the story. In the movie, a haunted hotel's water supply is contaminated by a dead body. We can't help feel bad for Elisa and her family. Her death, however it happened, transformed from a tragedy to a viral online mystery. Then, the news blew up with concerns over unclean water in the LA area, and rightly so, because weeks later, there was a tuberculosis outbreak. Tuberculosis spreads through unclean water. This is unnerving enough, until you look at the standard test for tuberculosis developed in 2009. It's called the lipoarabinominin enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, commonly known as LAM-ELISA, spelled exactly the same as ELISA. A year after ELISA Lam's death, a young boy looked up at the Cecil Hotel's window, he couldn't put his finger on it, but felt something creepy. He took a photo and showed his friend. 
At first it seemed like nothing, but once they saw it, there's a translucent image of a young boy in a blue shirt and trousers. He's standing on the windowsill, leaning out at an impossible 45 degree angle, about to fall to his death. Could this young boy be the ghost of Dorothy Purcell's son, luring yet another woman to her death? Or the youthful spirit of a man destroyed by the Great Depression, a man who gave up forever inside the Cecil Hotel? Or a blurry image of the ghost of Richard Ramirez? There's only one way to find out, by checking in. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every other Thursday. We'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Ron Shapiro. Production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places was written by Maggie Admire. I'm Greg Polson.